Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, here on the back of a second 5-0 win in the space of a week. I don't know what's happening either. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me on the show, Mr. Drew Heatley. How you doing, mate? Hello, Jack. The simulation is officially broken. Yes, indeed. I don't know what's going on. Miss Lizzie Barnard, how you doing, Lizzie? I'm great. I've been excited about this all day. Oh, it's, it's one to join, one to join. And apparently Fulham's bad luck charm when he actually turns up at games. Two missed games, Harry Durham, and two 5-0 <laughs> wins. You're banned from the cottage. <laughs> Oh, but we're back, baby. It's absolutely fine. I might just sell my season ticket right, straight after we do this. Probably win the title, mate. Yeah, exactly. We're going on a title charge as long as Harry doesn't come back to the cottage. <laughs> we'll get through this, well, all the intricacies of this 5-0 win over West Ham. No longer the bogey team, it seems. But before we do that, Drew, you got some three-word reviews for us. Yeah, I got some uh, all, all around a similar theme, as you might imagine. Uh, we've got Rich Campbell with uh, Cinco de Marco, nice. uh, which I liked. Uh, Kieran McGinley with Fulham 5-0. Uh, Jay Blankenship with Leno's Lazy Sunday. He's had a lazy week, to be fair. Uh, and Chris Ballard with Stop Hammered Time. Very good. Very, very good. Enjoyed them a lot. Great stuff, everybody. Thank you, as ever, for sending them in. Let's get into it. I mean, it's difficult to remember. You know, we talked, Lizzie, on the podcast on Thursday about the fact that it was 1966, the last time Fulham scored three or more goals in in three consecutive games in the top flight. I think the answer to the question of when did that happen, it was four, is never. This is unprecedented waters. Yeah, drink it in. I have not had a week like this as a Fulham fan, like ever. I've been thinking about maybe in the championship when we won 7-0 and 6-2 back-to-back, but like that was in the second tier. And to have Premier League fan friends who are fans of these teams and being able to send little messages on Sunday afternoon, like it feels so sweet. I I, I can't believe this is my club doing this. It's, it's wild, isn't it? I think we're getting to a point here where I think it's fair to say, Harry, that the season is turned around. There have been lots of questions over how this has happened, and then we can dive a little bit deeper into what made this tick. But the feeling in the space of, what, 14 days from the Wolves game to where we are today has completely and utterly flipped, and it's such a nice moment to be a Fulham fan after what was a tricky start to this campaign. Well, we all thought that we'd probably be finishing 15th or 16th. I spoke to Dom Betts, who we all know very well at work, last week. And he was like, ah, don't, care, don't care, mate. Don't care. Well, it's, it's season's over. Season's over. And I was just like, <laughs> all right, I love your positivity, Dom. As ever. Fantastic. Great. Mate, I can't tell you how this has all happened, to be honest with you. It's been something in their water. Something that We must be drinking some special potion out of the Thames. I don't know what it is. By the way, no one drink water out of the Thames because that will be... <laughs> Health and safety warning on Fulham. Yeah, yeah, health and safety warnings. Um, mate, it was off the back of that Wolves one. Obviously, we went up to Liverpool. A lot of people were a bit disgruntled from Liverpool, but I was up there and I was a bit sort of like, do you know what? Like, we've lost against probably the greatest comeback team in like Premier League or even like world football history. And there were so many positives to take away from both of those games. And then obviously uh, midweek happened, Nottingham Forest just absolutely dross. And then West Ham, mate, honestly, it, like like Drew said, it's like we're in a simulation, isn't it? I can't put my finger on what's happened. It seems like everyone's gotten a Christmas bonus. <laughs> probably had a solid Christmas party at the start of last week. And now everyone's just buzzing. Everyone's probably just got pay rises. That's what it is. Yeah, it's all, it all comes down to the money eventually. I, I mean, Harry raises a good point there, Drew. And actually, I think we looked at the Forest game and whilst it was incredibly exciting to win 5-0 and everyone had a great time, there was a sense that it was like, not in Forest, we're as bad as I've seen any side. And then obviously to go and do the same thing to West Ham, who we know are you know a side above us in the table. Yes, there is talk of bugs and all sorts of things that David Moyes is throwing around and heavy fixture schedules, etc. But we've just made West Ham look incredibly ordinary as well. And it does kind of lead onwards from that kind of point to think, 
Maybe Forest weren't quite as bad as we thought they were. Maybe we made them look that bad because we made West Ham look exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, you know, Moyes is talking about bugs. Well, they they definitely shit the bed, didn't they? So uh, maybe he was right. Um, no, it's good. We beat the actual Champions of Europe, didn't we? The 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 proper Champions of Europe, not uh, not some fellow promoted side. So uh, no, you are right. Um, I was looking at West Ham. I get ahead of uh, the game and obviously came off a great win against Spurs. And I was looking at them thinking, oh, they're, they're kicking on after, uh, after their season last year. Of course, they won the Conference League. And they're kicking on in the league, top half. That's exactly where I'd love to be. And and then, you know, fast forward five goals later and there's, what, three points between us and one place. So it's we, we've spoken about it before, Jack, on, on a couple of Thursday clubs. It's like perspective and, and looking at the season as, as a whole. And it's just, I, I you know, been following Fulham for 30 years and I still can't get my head around the ebbs and flows of, of a season, you know, from going from this is going to be an awful campaign where we finish 14th, 15th to who knows, we could, you know, better last season's uh, finish and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, you get carried away because that's that's the joy of being a football fan. But, you know, even now, as, as much, you know, as a similar way that it gets darker in winter and it still surprises me, it still surprises me how your your optimism and depression can swing throughout the course of a 38-game season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to just work through it a little bit, Lizzie, it was a strange kind of start in that Fulham looked a little bit, I'm not afraid, that's probably the wrong, wrong phrase, but obviously after the fast starts against, well, Wolves, and then obviously against Nottingham Forest, the first 10 minutes felt a bit tepid. It was only when the goal went in that actually Fulham went, right, this is ours, picked the game up by the scruff of the neck and took it. And that ability to switch gears, and we did it a couple of times during the game, we scored the fourth and we sat in for 10 minutes, for example, and just just soaked it up for a little while before we came out to play again for the fifth. And that ability to sort of switch gears, conserve energy at the right points and actually hit them at moments where they've really struggled and West Ham have struggled post half time in particular this season, just felt like a really controlled element of Fulham's game that's maybe gone a little bit unnoticed. Yeah, definitely. And I made some notes in the first 10 minutes that have aged really badly about how bad I thought we were going to be. Like obviously having an unchanged lineup how can you improve on perfection with just one five nil against Forest? But I thought people already were looking a little bit tired. Um, and there were a few decisions that were made by certain players that I wasn't, I thought, oh dear, this isn't going to be great. But as soon as the first goal went in, as you said, it suddenly became so electric. And yeah, that intensity didn't continue throughout the entire game. But by the end, there's no reason to have Jacqueline on the pitch sliding into tackles when you're like 4-0 up. Um, so yeah, what a privilege to be able to take our foot off the gas a little bit and still see out the most comfortable of comfortable wins. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Harry, I want to talk about the centre-backs because, again, we said after Wednesday, OK, good performance, clean sheet, very controlled, had very little to deal with. Now, this was a West Ham side lacking Mikel Antonio, which is obviously something that's going to be a little bit different in terms of Jared, what Jared Bowen offers up front. But I thought they dealt with multiple threats very, very well at the weekend. They're both very composed, very comfortable on the ball. There was a couple of errant passes, particularly from Thurston in the first half. But the two of them now together have overseen two clean sheets, two 5-0 wins. Um, and it looks very difficult for, for there to be any changes within that lineup straight away. Oh, mate, it's been sensational, especially like midweek as well. Like, both of them just on top of their games, mate. Tosin's just come back from a long-term injury. Bassi's now playing on his favoured left-hand side. Tim Ream, for what reason, I don't, I don't know why he was out yesterday. I don't know if that's been revealed yet. But it's coming to a point now where these two have such good sort of like energy with one another that why should Tim Ream come back into the starting lineup? He has been... For the most part of the season already, I know he's a club legend. He hasn't been the player that he was last season, and there, there's sort of like a second season syndrome with Fulham as a club and all the promoted teams of the of the last year or whatever. But then there's second season syndrome with people like Tim Ream, and if he's not going to be up to up to scratch, we always knew it was going to be a gamble him coming in for the second season. But mate, to be honest, if both of them can stay fit, we've both we've got Diop to come back as well. Diop coming back in the new year, so which will be an interesting thing as well. And 
if, say, Robinson picks up an injury, then you'll be able to move Calvin Bassey onto the left-hand side. He's so good at going through the middle and going forwards as well, just like Tim Ream was. But now I think that we've got these two 5-0 wins back-to-back. can't believe I'm saying that. Calvin Bassey did look so shaky at the beginning when he started starting for Fulham. What was it? Spurs away when he just had an absolute horror show, mate horror show and when you think about sort of like the last three or four games that he's had the Liverpool the Liverpool game four three wonder goals like none of them could really be blamed um this is the sort of turn that Calvin Bassey needed in that back line for him to kick on and with Tosin coming back as well and picking up two five nil victories mate they're going to be oozing in confidence I think both of them now completely undroppable you saw Calvin East Calvin Bassey you saw um Jared Bowen trying to pick the ball up hold it up well Calvin Bassey just boshed him off the pitch every single time you mentioned like the first sort of like 10 minutes it did look a bit shaky but once they grew into it mate they're flying they're flying they're undroppable at the moment yeah, I mean, the other element of that, Drew, and something we talk about on Ranks a lot is cat and dog partnerships at centre-back. And I, that one leads and is the kind of lead physical presence, likes to step out of the line, make a difference in, in that final third and actually be able to break lines. And one kind of cleans up behind him, the, the cat to the dog, if you will. And actually they have that kind of relationship in that Tosin is probably a better long passer, but is less likely to go dribbling with the ball out of the back line, whereas Bassi likes to step into midfield and make things happen. And I do think there was an element with, with Bassi and Reem, and look, you can maybe say that Reem and Tosin will be able to do this, but with Bassi and Reem, it didn't feel like the balance was right in terms of what they were doing. That might be because they're two left footers, but also just in terms of their physical profiles. This feels like they have that matchup that really does prove difficult for especially single strikers to deal with. Yeah, and you're seeing you're seeing that blend work really well. I think I'm really 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 pleased with Bassi because obviously it's uh, it's been well documented his start, and you can just see him now on the pitch like he's he's laughing, he's smiling, he feels a lot more comfortable in himself. And I think you know obviously if you're you know if you're prefer- if you have a preferred side to play your game on, and and you struggle you know having to play out of that position, then you know that's obviously going to be tough, and it's going to be lovely to it's going to be like slipping into a warm bath, isn't it, to get back into the the position where you're comfortable. And it's just been a, it's been a tough start, I think for for Calvin but it's uh, it's great to see him back in it's great to see the pair of them together and but the, the the concern I do have is obviously we were one injury from uh, somebody having to slot into centre-back like Polinia or somebody you know we were we were one injury away from that because uh, we had no other centre-backs on the bench yesterday so that's a slight concern you know these two are doing really well together and they've not had a huge amount to do but they've been there's been plenty of positive signs but we are light so what happens next nobody knows what happened to Reem do they but it's got to be an injury, doesn't it? It's not going to be anything else. Yeah, you'd imagine it is. Um, I mean, look, maybe it's just a small injury. Maybe it's just a knock and and he'll be back in in contention. There's also the kind of context that in the new year, Calvin Bassey goes off to AFCON and we will miss him for a couple of weeks. And you kind of expect him, Reem, to step back into that old position at that point. And there's questions about his future. So I'll I'll leave that there for now. And Leslie, I wanted to talk about Raul because this first goal is prime Raul Jimenez. It's absolutely old school Raul and it was lovely to watch him have the confidence and also that kind of ability to find that leap and that header. That's the mark of a striker in form, four in four now. And we're talking about a man who obviously didn't score in like his first 13 appearances for the club in the Premier League, now has four in four. And whilst it's not Mitrovic numbers, obviously, Marcus Silva said to stop talking about him, so I will. Um, but it, it's, it's, well, it's not those kind of numbers. There does come a point that if, if we have a couple of favourable games coming up, and we do at the cottage, and he can notch a couple more before Christmas, if Raul's on 7-8 before the turn of the year, I think anyone would have said that for that kind of money, a striker getting 10 goals in a Premier League season is probably doing a pretty good job. And suddenly he's almost halfway there in the last four games alone. Yeah, it's amazing. I wish I could say I knew he'd come good, um, but I was starting to lose faith mass- massively. And yeah, I don't know what's happened, but this turnaround has been amazing. I did. I was impressed at the beginning of the season with his stuff in the middle of the park and his link-up play and all of that. But because he was so wasteful in front of goal, it was just he was really difficult to enjoy watching as a player. And like yesterday and 
or these last four games have the first been really the first time we haven't missed our old striker. So yeah, amazing. I think as well, everyone's talking about confidence and not the same player he was since the injury. And and obviously there are, there is probably the stats to back that up. But I think also we've seen there's never been a lack of confidence from Raul Jimenez at Fulham. You know, he was trying Rabona's in game game two and they weren't coming off, but he was trying them and you know he scored over header. He did not, you know, he did not look like a player who was scared to head the ball because he's not. He's not. He's not had that lack of confidence. But we forget that sometimes, you know, strikers have barren spells. Now his went on a lot longer, uh, so you could probably add some mitigation into that. But like it was just, it wasn't working for him. But sometimes I've used this analogy a couple of times. It's the ketchup bottle. You get the knife up there, you jiggle it about, and and then the goals come out, and that's what we're seeing now for for Jimenez. I want to know what the actual knife in the ketchup bottle moment was for Raul on the training ground. Um, (laughs) Harry, do you think there's an element of this that is Fulham learning to play with him? And obviously for the first couple of games, we saw a lot of balls swung into the box that was sort of stylistically reminiscent of what we were doing last year. And suddenly out of nowhere, Fulham are all neat interchanges in the centre of the park. Andreas coming very tight to in order to sort of allow those one-two link-ups. We're seeing wingers bombing on and getting into advanced positions. Is this Fulham taking their time to adjust to a very different type of player? Yeah, because we're not just like lumping the ball into the box and hoping to score like a 90th minute winner, like I.E. Mitrovic, who is so good with the ball at his feet, but then again was so good as a target man in the box. And I think yesterday, Raul sort of like proved that, obviously, with the bullet header, but obviously I don't want Fulham to go back to playing that style of football, which we had with Mitrovic. We all know that Raul Jimenez is capable of holding the ball up and he is a very stylish player. Like His performance in this hold-up against Liverpool, and a few people in the group chat weren't too happy with his performance, especially of his like, assist for uh, um, McAllister last Sunday. But, mate, he's such a skillful player. And if you have him playing off of Pereira, who in the last couple of days has bounced back, in my opinion, it's a completely different style of football. And that's what, that's exactly what I wanted Fulham to adopt in the summer when we were linked with Balogun. That's exactly what I what I wanted. Two completely different strikers, but people that can drop deep and create something and keep the ball on the floor. How many like how many aerial goals have we actually scored this season? Yesterday and Forrest as well. Mate, it was just sexy. And that's exactly how we want to be playing our football. We don't want to just lump it in there and hope for Mitrovic's fat head to get on the end of it. We just want Raul Jimenez back to his best, which is, and he's full of beans, mate. He's full of confidence. I was one of his biggest doubters. I was one of his biggest doubters. And I said, didn't want him to play Vinicius or Munez, get him in. And I wanted Dominic Solanke in January. I'm actually starting to think, even though Dominic Solanke is in form, do we just go with Raul Jimenez right now? But mate, listen, the change up in change up in play compared to Mitrovic, top tier. Yeah. Top tier. It's like it's an interesting it's kind of development, I think, because we're now looking at and there was a lot of panic about January. And look, I've one hate the January market. Drew, I don't think there's almost any value in it. It tends to get, you know, players that get overpaid, overpriced. And you, you end up with a player that then ultimately disappoints. And what this does perhaps is change the outlook on the rest of this season to go, okay, we still probably need a number nine going forward in terms of next season and where we can grow to. But if we can push that six months to the summer, it gives us a far better chance of actually looking at the players that we're not panicking to try and scramble in in the last days of the January window. I also think just on this, do you reckon this is a part of the reason that we haven't seen quite as much of Kenny Tete? Because obviously Tete is an unbelievable one-on-one defender. That's never really been in doubt. But one of his greatest attacking weapons was that ability to whip the ball in from deeper positions and and look for a striker who is like tumbling into the box to try and get past that last defender. Castagna is a little bit cuter in terms of the way that he uses possession and uses the one-on-ones. And I wonder if that's something we're seeing for a reason. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, with Tete, you think it was a case of uh, managing the minutes, but then it's been two games now where Castagna's been favoured. So you think, well, actually, you know, uh, resting against Forrest would have been enough. So, uh, and you're right. It's like, you know, we're seeing it now, uh, learning how to how to accommodate Raul Jimenez. I think, um, I think if we don't get someone in... It, in January, I think people will still be quite annoyed. Um, but again, it's like I think uh, I think Marco knows uh, a lot more about what he wants to achieve, right, from day one. And I think he's probably looking at this now and saying everything that I wanted to to happen is starting to happen. So he's maybe probably feeling a little bit more relaxed about January than uh, 
than than us as fans were and 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 to an extent still are um so but we were ne- I, you know i don't think any of us thought we were going to replace he should not be named in january with a permanent replacement it was always going to be a a, a plaster a band-aid um do we still need it or is uh, is the wound healing enough to to push it down to the summer which as you say jack would be the best thing to do and give us six months more to figure out that shortlist um, but you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great problem to have, isn't it? Yeah, it is a good problem to have. Um, Lizzie, can we talk about Harry Wilson, please? And as a kind of extension, can we talk about Fulham's depth all of a sudden? Because part of this has been not just the players who've started have been brilliant, but the players that have come off the bench and made a difference. Now, Wilson's scored one and picked up two assists in the last couple of games, both while coming off the bench he is banging on the door for a start and yet it feels very harsh to drop any of the starting 11 after the performances we've seen but even you know Carlos coming on he didn't clothesline anyone which was great I really enjoyed him not trying to murder anyone on the pitch Um, but on top of that to him to get a goal at the end and Wilson's pass for that incredibly unselfish when you're looking at you know a player who's trying to force his way into the team if he scores two there starts to be clamor for him to start instead he he slides the ball in it just feels like the squad is starting to gel together properly and and there's a lot of love it feels like at the moment now it might be easy after a couple of five nil wins but the squad still feel very together yeah and now's the time for love so let's give it like i have loved watching Wilson always but this season I think he's been really fabulous and it's been really disappointing and frustrating at times that he's been benched and William has started against him. William has actually performed fine in the last few games and even well which um, you know I never thought would happen after the beginning of the season. Yeah his goal yesterday tears streaming down my face just incredible um the confidence to be able to do that, to have that kind of quality that we can bring off the bench, as you mentioned, is amazing. And I would also put a shout in this category for Harrison Reed, who obviously has been benched the last few games. His pass over the top to Wilson was the goal, set up the fifth goal as well. Um, and to be able to bring on him um, off the bench, like, like we're in dreamland. It, it feels like it couldn't be better at the moment. There's been a few really encouraging examples of substitutes combining, hasn't there, in the last uh, in the last three games, which is uh, which is exactly <laughs> it sounds obvious exactly what you bloody want substitutes to do. But uh, it's really nice to see that uh, sub to sub and and more than more than a couple goals in the last few days. Yeah, I mean, Harry, to kind of take it on from that depth point, we talked about the fact that you know n- no one person is going to replace as we say, who, who must not be named. But actually now, and obviously a lot of this has come in the past couple of games, but we have six players on three or more goals. Carlos Vinicius, Bobby Decordova-Reed and Harry Wilson on three, Raul, Willian and Alex Iwobi on four. Suddenly the goals are being shared around. Suddenly the assists are picking up for Andreas. I think him and Harry Wilson, if I'm not mistaken now, both have four assists. It just feels all of a sudden that different parts of the team are starting to click in new ways and that even when these substitutions do come in it's not taken away from the identity of what Marcus Silva is trying to do mate we've just got class all over the pitch like Harry Wilson is capable of I don't know playing for he's playing for a top 10 club but all of these players in their own rights are just class as simple as that like I think we had sort of like elements of it in the championship as well when you had sort of Fabio Carvalho getting on the score sheet, getting assists as well. It, I hate to say it because everyone's saying it right now. It's like we have the Fulham of maybe potentially last year and that championship year back. That is very, very famous last words, obviously, of the 7 0 6 twos and stuff like that. But, mate, everyone's just playing their role. And like Drew said as well, what substitutes are meant to do. If you're coming off the bench, like what Bobby Decker-Dover Reed did against Liverpool last week, came off the bench. I was, he, I had his family in front of me. Everyone was going mad, mate, and he just turned the game on its head. Of course, we didn't win the game, but it's just like sort of testament to what Marco has built in that team. It's because every there's no there's no sort of like individuals there. Everyone knows what they have to do, and everyone is good enough to perform at the highest standard, mate. To be honest with you, this is a team that could finish in the top eight, in my opinion, if all things go well. That's a very deluded Fulham fan thought. But if you think about those players like Pereira, Wilson, Willian as well, all three of them have played for top clubs. Wilson at Liverpool, 
Pereira at Manchester United, Willian, I know it was bad at Arsenal, but Chelsea as well. There's so many capabilities in there to take this club to the next level. And those are the players that we have to rely on. And they're shining, mate. They're shining. And the depth factor is just so good. In my opinion, we just need more depth in the sense of a striker. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that's fair. I mean, Harry makes a point there, Drew, that I think is really interesting. Perhaps there is a sense more of kind of a level playing field about this team. When you have a person who's so obviously the talisman, who's so obviously the kind of leading light that all of the attraction, but also all of the news is centered around about when there's an opposition preview, everybody says the same name. When you're doing that, is there a sense maybe in the team, obviously also top earner at the club, you know, that it's based around one person. Obviously now that person is Raul Polinia, who plays a slightly different role and is a far less of a headline grabber, perhaps in terms of actually being on the score sheet, making the difference. We know what, you know, what he brings to the table. We know how good he is, but he's hardly going to be front and center of the back pages if Fulham pull off a, you know, a miraculous shock against one of the top clubs. There does maybe feel a sense that it's like, okay, everyone's kind of willing to to knock the ball around a little bit more, to to share it amongst themselves. And it's probably something that's quite nice in terms of the camaraderie in the changing room. Yeah. I think when you have something that happened like what happened in the summer where you where you lose the focal point of your team, it takes I think we underestimate how long it takes to try and get uh, everything back gelling as it as it as the manager should uh, sit, hopes that it will do. And I think uh, it's like I touched on earlier, I think Marco from the since the beginning of the season has known what he wants to achieve and while we're losing our heads and saying you know well it's the lack of recruitment and uh, we're just going to we're going to tread water this this uh, season which I still believe is true you know the lack of recruitment was, ne- was negligent but I'm talking about from Marco's point of view he's like look I've got players I've got a system with that will help players score from all over the pitch we did it with we did it last season. We can do it again this season. We can uh, we we share the goals out. That's the way that that Fulham play under Marco Silva, and and so it's proved right. You know, ten goals in twelve first twelve games, sixteen in the next four, nine different goal scorers. It's clicked. It's gelled. It's starting to it's starting to work. Everybody's starting to realise you know the strengths and weaknesses of the of the new players and also the old players in the new adapted way that we play in terms of you know filling that hole that we missed with the with the focal point. So. It's it's just it's just one of those things where it clicks. Will it continue? I don't see any reason why it shouldn't at the moment. You know, you don't get nine different scores in, in four games as a fluke. Um and it's and it's just a refreshing and sort of a, a nice thing because obviously before, you know, everybody, as you say, talks about one man and we do it as well. So like you know, this is great. It's great to be able to share that love among all these different players. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We're gonna go for a break in a minute. Any final words, Lizzie, on two five nils? I thought just open the floor up here to all three of you because sometimes it's nice just to be able to love. Of course I have final words. Um I came on after the villa loss which couldn't have been more depressing the mood couldn't have been more different um and spoke about how many points we'd got from those fixtures last season and blah, blah, blah. this last season though these four fixtures that we've had since the international break we picked up four points from now we're sitting on nine like sky's the limit on that um we haven't missed Mitrovic in fact we probably would have scored fewer points with him in this run um because he would have missed at least one of the penalties against Wolves like it just couldn't be better. This is what we've been waiting for. Yeah, absolutely. Harry? Uh, away from the five nils, it all comes into one. Anthony Robinson is currently the best left back in the Premier League on form. Uh, if you're listening, Jedi, the bounce back has been incredible. And I'm so sorry for ever doubting you. Bleach your hair blonde more because it's working, baby. It's working. I like how Harry Wilson had to go back to brown for him to start kicking. Yeah. But Jedi's taking the blonde mantle on and, uh, and, and off he goes. Drew, any last words? Oh, just what an absolute joy, right? You know, talking about that that rough run before the before the window, uh, before the international break. Uh, it's just the, the, the ups and downs of being a fan. And look, by the way, that Villa result. You know, it doesn't look so bad now, does it? it? Didn't look so bad at the time, but you know, scoring against Villa isn't for everyone. But you know, it's for the goal machine, Raúl Jiménez. So, help the Fulham, help the Fulham. Right, we'll be back after the break to answer a load of your questions. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 
Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3 p.m. kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Not only will you benefit from their already huge discounts, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here with Harry Durham, Elizabeth Barnard and Drew Heatley. We've got a stack of questions from Twitter, or X formerly known as Twitter, as you probably say these days. I think there's some interesting stuff. This is from Fulham, South Africa, and I'm going to give it to you, Harry. Um, he says, despite no <laughs> Metro, yesterday's matchday squad is arguably Fulham's best since the 2009-10-11 era, with Awobi, Bassi, Balotore, and potentially even Tosin gone for January's AFCON. How badly will that tournament impact our season overall? Uh, I can see us dropping quite a few points off the back of that because I won't be, in my opinion, has been the signing of the season for Fulham, mate. He's like he's like a Jack Russell Terrier. He's, he wants to be everywhere, mate. I used to think when uh, he was at sort of like Everton and Arsenal that he was sort of so one-dimensional. All he could do was just run forwards, run forwards, and he got moved into the middle, and then he actually looked a bit better like that. But now, mate, he's one, consistently probably one of our best players on the pitch. And if you think about sort of like the players that we have that will be going to AFCON, you mentioned obviously Bassi, Tosin, Iwobi as well. It will hinder us quite Massively, I'm just looking at the squad. Obviously, that played yesterday. But obviously, if Reem comes in, and Diop's meant to be, well, Tosin also might in... not go. We we should probably make this clear. Oh, like, it's that a, is it's very, very true. It's obviously, a very potential yeah. one that. <laughs> um, with obviously Diop coming back in the early New Year as well, we get to fit in there. Maybe we just see some more depth back in there as well. Maybe Luke Defugerol. Uh, comes back onto the bench and could be an option with Joel Polina probably going into the centre defensive midfield role. Harry Wilson goes in the right for Iwobi. If we're going off it right now, it hinders us massively with the form that they're currently in. I'd like to think, fingers crossed, that wouldn't be the case. But those are they aren't just sort of like some bench warmers that are going to be heading off to AFCOM potentially. Um, because like I said at the top, Iwobi has been sensational. It'll be a massive miss. It's just Harry Wilson's going to have to fill in those gaps. Yeah. Because Iwobi, mate, it's, it's, it's a joy to watch. He's going to be probably the biggest miss out of all of them. Yeah, I actually, I actually it'd agree. It'd be interesting. Like, what is it? The AFCON goes on to like the t- like mid-Feb or whatever, right? So, Well, it depends how far it, they progress, right? Exactly. I guess it depends how far they progress. But like, you know, if they do progress far, you've got, uh, you've got, in like a two week spell or 10 day spell, Everton at home, Burnley away and Bournemouth at home. So that's that, you know, we talk a lot about at the beginning of the season about how the fixture list falls this season and favorable runs. Like um, that's as favorable a run as you will get, uh, I think in, in the latter half of this season. So, you know, all the best to them, but hope you go out before the quarterfinals and come back and help us win those three games, lads. Well, this is it. It's the Chelsea. It's the Chelsea game, isn't it? You're like looking at that. It's the day that Afcon kicks off, and you're like, oh, that's such a shame. That is such a shame yeah. with the form that they're in right now. It would have been beautiful to have, have gone to the bridge and and tried to get something out of that game. Obviously, struggled there over recent years. Just without a couple of key parts, it all just feels a little mm. bit less, a little bit less pretty. Um, right. So let's keep going. Uh, and this one, I suppose, I'm going to throw this to you, Drew, because uh, it's depressing, and you are a grumpy man. Um, cool. John Hartnessall <laughs> says. Although he scored five goals back to back, played some great consistent football over the past month. Why do I still have the feeling that it could all fall apart at a moment's notice? <laughs> I think the answer because, is because you're a Fulham fan. <laughs> yeah, as as Chairman Mo once said, we are Fulham. Um, what was that, Keith? Uh, his line, I can't remember. Either way, uh, that's exactly it, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you never, you never, uh, you're only as good as your last game, but actually. You know, you, you, there's always that next one coming up and it's Newcastle away. And, you know, you can talk about their injuries and you can talk about everything else, but that could be 
you know, in the cold northeast, uh, a real bump back down to earth. Look, you know, in in two weeks' time, we could be sort of weeping after losing to Burnley, getting crashing out of the Carabao Cup, and getting absolutely gubbed up by up in Newcastle, and you know, crying as we open up our Christmas presents. And if that happens, I would not be in the least bit surprised. But You've 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 allowed me to creep down into my 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 hole again now. Uh, no, I'm hoping it won't happen. But you know, anything's possible, isn't it? Uh, and it usually, any anything that could happen usually does. Now, I'll kick it on to you about Newcastle, Lizzie, because Ross Kellen says Newcastle have a huge game in the Champions League on Wednesday. Massive injury problems and Trippier suspended on Saturday. Could we even start to dream of getting a result at St James's Park? I mean, I'm dreaming. What can I say? I think sometimes we watch Newcastle away from home and forget how strong they are at home. Um, and like, you know, we've seen their results over the last couple of games and they've been bad, but they were away from home. But we, yeah, with Trippier suspended, with Pope out, with their team being gutted, like it, obviously it's an incredibly unlucky injury crisis, but like what are their physios doing? Like how has it managed to get quite this bad um yeah anything's possible uh i'll see you next week to talk about three points i guess (laughs) (laughs) back the five nil now harry i mean i think it is definitely worth dreaming about this because look not only is this absolutely crunch time for them in midweek against ac milan and they've obviously got big ambitions of of having of harboring european football in the new year whether that be champions league if they can you know rely on others to get them result or still in the europa league i think that newcastle wouldn't be you know the kind of club that would pass up an opportunity to go deep in the europa league the state they're in in their project harry so Actually, this is, you know, the Fulham game is definitely secondary in terms of importance this week to them. And we know that they haven't been able to rotate their team. We saw them against Spurs. They looked incredibly weary. And suddenly they're now missing a key part of right back as well. If this, the situation couldn't be any better from a Fulham perspective, I don't think. No, oh, this is the best time to probably play Newcastle all season. Like Kieran Trippier, I've been a massive fan on. He's been He's been on chips the last sort of like two games at Newcastle play got spun by Son and then Everton as well made two mistakes in the build-up to two goals as well I wish Kieran Trippier wasn't actually suspended <laughs> but um, I, I feel sorry I, I love the Geordies I love Newcastle fans I love the city and whatnot um, I can't slag them off it's just being it's just having to deal with uh, Anthony Gordon who I think has been on fire and I'm looking I'm really looking forward to seeing that battle between Jalinton and also Joel Polina in the middle as well um it just it's just one of those situations where we've played so well at home newcastle are going to be up for it especially if they do end up beating ac milan in the week that we need to be able to sort of like deal with that atmosphere at st james's park because no matter who they're playing if it's fulham if it's accrington stanley in the cup or it's psg at home in the champions league they're going to be bang up for it mate and two what are they are they in the premier league i think it's three wins on the trot at St. James's Park as well. Obviously, the Arsenal one was a bit controversial. Uh, Manchester United, yeah, disastrous. And um, I can't even remember what the other one was now. Um, there, there, there is no better time. There really is no better time. And if, if Everton, who looked down and out a couple of weeks ago, the best thing that's ever happened to Everton in the last 12 months is getting a points deduction because they've actually started playing football. Um, convinced them they were at the end of the season kind of bit where they have to win. Suddenly, yeah. they, suddenly they've picked up, what, four wins in five? It's, it's given me uh, Brian Robson, West Brom, uh, Survival Sunday 2005 sort of uh, vibes. Um, but... Like I said, no better times playing, but it is just the St. James's Park factor, which is just that 12th man, 14th man, 50,000th man that Fulham need to get over. Um, the weather conditions probably as well. If Anthony Robinson's wearing gloves, I'll lose my head. <laughs> A fan of the Northeast. Turns out Harry is Durham by name and Durham by nature. Um, right, Very couple good. on, couple on the transfer window. I mean, the one coming up and also the one in the summer. I thought this was interesting, Drew, from Titch Rugby. He said, did the Mitrovic and to lesser extent Paulinia sagas convince us that the transfer window was disastrous when it was generally excellent, barring no top class nine? That's a pretty big exception, but I'll take the point. Castagna, Bassi, Iwobi and Raul are all now key parts of the team and are delivering exceptional performances. 
Yeah, I think, uh, again, not to bang the drum, but I think it's all coming together the way that Marco wanted. But I think also... Uh, in terms of the players that he wanted, they've come, they might have taken a bit of time to bid in, but they have or they are at the moment, and that's great, and it's great to see. Uh, I think that both things can be true. I think the players that we did bring in clearly look to be astute and clever signings, but also it was negligent not to bring in a number nine, uh, a full-time permanent replacement for Alexander Mitrovic. That is also true. I think both things will be true at the same time. I think they are. Um but it just so happens at the moment that, you know, we are, we're coping without it in the way that everyone's chipping in and doing what they what they want. I mean, look, we are all revisionists because we're all football fans and that's just what we do. Um, but I think we need to just be aware that, yeah, that there has been some poor uh, recruitment uh black holes uh, or maybe just one hole um, but it was a big one and uh, if we let Palinia go then that would have been <laughs> perhaps an even bigger one so it's great but yeah there, it doesn't mean that the, the sins of the past are forgotten yeah I mean it takes us nicely on to January Lizzie um, Charlie said with this kind of goal scoring form will the Khans still back Marco on January signings and, and Chris added he's a wood signing a new striker now upset the team's chemistry or is it still a priority I think it's still a priority. We can't, um, in football, you can't stand still. You have to keep moving forward. And we can't be fearful of making changes for fear of upsetting our team's chemistry. If we believe in our manager and believe in what we have, that chemistry will continue, even with new additions. And I think we've seen that in the last few games when these signings have begun to bed in. Um, I hope that the Khans will still back Marco. I imagine with the contract being signed when we were not playing particularly well and going through a bit of a rut, there was a promise there that he would be backed in January. But with the Khans, you never know. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, here's a slightly controversial opinion, Harry, but I would rather Fulham signed a six in January than a nine. I think that putting a long-term replacement in for Joao Polina and being able to shore up the midfield of this team is currently a more crucial element in this kind of window where strikers are at a premium, people are scrambling, everyone's trying to get someone who's going to score the goals to save their season in. It's probably a smarter use of money than buying a nine now when things are probably going to be fine till the summer. Yeah, I actually agree with you there, Jack, especially if Joao Polina does leave in January. You can just imagine that whole fiasco in a month's time. We're going to be... what? What's that German... Um, Brought a, a journalist called Plessy Goal. He's just obsessed with us, isn't he? He's obsessed. He just wants a free Joel Polina shirt at the end of it, of its sign. He's still, he's still upset um, about how we treated Dirk Lehman. <laughs> <laughs> what a man, the porn star. Yeah. Guy <laughs> needs to get a grip, honestly, mate. Um, and I actually, yeah, now that you've said it, Jack, I didn't actually think in that way because I was always just banging the drum of Dominic Solanke. But with Joel Polina potentially going in January, I think a six would be spot on, to be honest with you. But are we going to put all of our eggs in one basket and sign that Andre from Fluminense? Is it Fluminense or Flamengo? Um, what is he, 21, 22? I mean, I, I I didn't really know much about my Portuguese football. I didn't really know who Joao Polina was apart from packing him in FIFA a couple of years ago. But he's been he's been top tier. But if all of the reports are true, what everyone's saying inside of Brazil for Andre, then throw the money at him. If we can beat Liverpool to him, who have wanted him just as long as we have, I think you're spot on with what you say, getting a number six over a number nine. But I am not thinking too much into the future of uh, Raul Jimenez's fine goal-scoring form. Uh, I, I'm still sort of in... I'm very happy for him, very happy for him, but I'm still sort of in the mind of this form could drop at any point once again. And at the same time, some Bournemouth fan quoted that they wanted 80 million for Dominic Solanke, which was mental. Um, to be fair, though, we were saying the same for Mitrovic in the summer and he's uh, Solanke's as important to Bournemouth as, as Mitrovic was to us. No, I said 100 million for Mitrovic. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right, a couple more before we go. Um, There's some interesting points here on Tosin that I thought were probably worth discussing, Drew. Um, On the wall says, would you break the wage structure to keep Tosin considering the cost of replacing him would be 16 million plus, which I think is probably about right. Um, 
And Vincent Leander says, we need to get Tosin on a new deal, but if that doesn't happen soon, do the club look to cash in and try to develop a Diop-Bassi partnership or just roll the dice six months hoping that Tosin signs? Oh, yeah, I think uh, there'll be a there'll be a massive. It would be obvious to those at the club what way Tosin's leaning right now. Um, I think Peter's sort of already said that he was actually looking to maybe extend in the end after all, just because there has been interest in the past from him to move on. That doesn't mean things can't change. I mean, we've all we've all experienced it in our own jobs, I'm sure. Um, so, I mean, I think him staying is probably as much on the table now as it ever has been. One thing you don't want to do is throw all the money at him in the world because we have a wage structure and he's not the first name on the team sheet. As good as he's performed since he's come back and as good as he has been in the past and homegrown, et cetera, et cetera, you don't, you don't upset the apple cart in that way. Certainly not for... Uh, with, with the greatest respect, a player like Tosin in terms of his points to the club. Um, that all that said, I would love to, I'd love to ha- to have him stay. He is a, he is a homegrown player. He is a, he is an extremely competent, talented centre back, and he slots in with Bassi as we've seen really well. And we know that he can play with Diop as well. In fact, we know he can play with Reem. He can play with everyone. So I would keep him for sure. I'd love him to stay. I think the ball's in his court, but it does seem like he will do. Um, but yeah, I mean, sixteen million for a centre back. I, I don't think we'd pay much more than that. That would be it, wouldn't it? But uh, obviously, it makes sense if you've got it already. Uh, then, then why lose it? But we'll, we'll find out soon enough. I should imagine new deal if it's going to come will probably come in the next month or two. I don't think we'd have to wait for the summer for it. I think if the next extension that comes through the uh, the X Airways will will be will be toast and I think toast signed. Yes, got to be, doesn't it? Certainly done. <laughs> um, right, last one for you, Lizzie. Uh, Matt Wall says, Bobby Deckard over Reed's contract is up at the end of the season. Would you renew it? 31 in February. I doubt we can give him a long enough contract or promise enough game time. Sadly, is his the spot to free up for a younger prospect coming through who's been a great servant? Oh, you're throwing me a really, really difficult one to add. <laughs> Oh, I don't want it's, to see. It's all fun and games. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to see him go. It's hard no. because it, it's so hard to divorce the emotion from what Bobby has done for this club, um, from how I feel about him continuing. But I do think he is still one of our most important squad members in terms of the flexibility that he gives this team. And like things are rosy now, but in however many months we might be in an injury crisis and passing Bobby around various points in the team. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd give him an extension, but I don't work in football finance, so not really for me to decide. No, I, I, I like the idea of him staying for another year, but equally, if he's like, I'm coming to the end of my football career, I want to play week in, week out, I would absolutely understand that as well, especially, you know, he's got a, a World Cup to think about. He's obviously trying to get there with his Jamaica side. They've got a really good opportunity considering the way that it's going to fall because of the way that it's hosted across the three CONCACAF nations. It all kind of comes up for, for Jamaica to actually make a qualification attempt. And if he wants to be part of that squad, then he's going to want to be playing week in, week out. And I think that's that's pretty interesting in terms of what he decides to do next. Right, last one for you, Harry. It's from Julianne. She says, what a fun week. I woke up this morning smiling. My question, was Reem just resting? I'm not sure I'm ready to explore the paths of any further questions and the implications. <sighs> Your guess is as good as mine. Like, I don't have uh, spies on Tim Ream's house. I don't have spies in Motspur Park telling me what's going on. I think maybe maybe the question would be more as in terms of, you know, obviously he's not played in the in these two games. The first one, he was on the bench. Maybe the question is, is this the end of Tim Ream as a nailed-on permanent starter for Fulham? God, that's so, so... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... He hasn't got age on his side, Jack, and I don't think he's been performing up to the standard where he should have been this season. Maybe I'll be I'll be much more harder on him if he was the same age as, say, like a Calvin Bassey or a Toasted. He's been a fantastic, incredible leader at this football club for so many years now, mate. 
Um, I think it's now time to give Grandad his slippers. That's so disrespectful. Give him a cup of tea. That's so disrespectful. And <laughs> stop being disrespectful. Start bringing in. <laughs> I know. I can't help it. I can't help it. I'm so cold in this house. Hence why I've got a got a hoodie on. Yeah, mate. Start. We've got. We've got to start bringing the youth through now. Start thinking about younger. If that's obviously Bassi and Tosin, and I'd also, I know he's so young, but Luke DeFugera, I want to see him start coming in, especially we have, you like to think he'd be playing against Rotherham as well. I'd just like to think that Tim Ring could be there as sort of like a leader. You know, like when a uh, Connor Cody or whatnot gets called up to the England squad, they're not going to get any minutes. It's just they are there for morale. And we'll probably see it in like ten or fifteen time, ten or fifteen years time. Sorry, and Tim Ream will probably be managing Fulham at some point. I just think now he probably needs to go back there and just be more of a morale sort of coach. Do you know what I mean? Working alongside Marco. Well, we will need him obviously during that Afcon period with Bassi out. Um, you know, whether Diop True. steps into that role, I'd imagine that Tim Ream would be the favourite to take back his left-sided role because of what he offers. Now, maybe that's not the permanent solution, and I do think probably it's a the long-term plan is to to build a centre-back partnership that involves Kevin Bassi on the left. But that doesn't mean that his squad importance, I don't think, drops this season. It's just a question of whether next season he wants that role to, you know, if, if that role has become a, a secondary squad role, does he then yep. want to go somewhere to make sure that he is playing every week and try, you know, he's another one with with desires to get to that 2026 World Cup. Whether that's possible or not is a different question. True. But he might want to go, you know, St. Louis now have an expansion team, his hometown club in MLS. There's lots of different questions mm. available around it. But I think it's an interesting one. I think he's still necessary this season. Yeah, I think the MLS is probably the avenue, to be honest. Um, I can't see it. He won't go to another Premier League club. I don't know if he'll be able to deal this time next year, probably the intensity of the championship. He did it for so many years as well. I didn't mean to be like so sort of derogatory towards Tim Ream. Um, I just want to see us now kick on with the younger members of our squad and going forwards. And he could be the one that bring the, brings those players through, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. All right, Drew, I haven't got a question for you to finish, but I do want you to name this podcast. Yeah, I will name the podcast. Uh, I've been looking through them all, and there's only one that stands out as the one I like, and it's Chris Ballard's Stop Hammered Time, because we never beat the Hammers. And uh, I forgot... Uh, I was so I was so happy in the pub afterwards that I forgot to gloat to all my West Ham mates. So I actually had some of them come out of the woodwork and sort of put their hands up first in like a really a really sad way and like you know do themselves down. Um, so yeah, stop hammered time. Very good, very good, very very good. Well done, Chris. I enjoyed that immensely. Um, which means that we've come to the end of this podcast, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Harry Durham. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Miss Elizabeth Barnard. Thanks very much. And thank you very much to Mr. Drew Heatley. Cheers, Jack. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. We'll be back on Thursday with the Thursday Club. Looking forward to that game at St. James's Park. But until then, you whites.